Okay. Christos vos cres. Any ideas what that means? Yeah, I'll translate for you. I'm fluent now. Um, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. What a change that makes. <clears throat> Everything changes because of that. Do you ever see those adverts about change? And we've talked about them before. If you could put the first one up there for me, Warren. <clears throat> there's a before and there's an after. And I realize I haven't got to that stage yet, but someday I might. And the, the, the picture is, uh, the image is, this is what it was, and this is what it is now. Something has changed. And that could be a picture of hair. It could be a picture of abs. You've got a six-pack afterwards, and you've got something else before. <laughs> or it could be a picture of nails. We plug for Anastasia here. You could look before, and you could look after and see the difference that Anastasia makes to your nails. I'm on a 10% commission. <laughs> but the whole idea is you see this picture, and you say, whatever they have, I want some of that. The story today is a story from, uh, that we read earlier, uh, that Hannah read for us earlier from Luke, uh, and it's a story of before and after. If you could put up the next slide for me. Something that happened, you see, on a two-hour ramble one Sunday afternoon on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Two ordinary people that met someone else. And I do say ordinary we don't know much about them, and I kind of like that. We know that he, one of them, was called Cleopas, and it might be that his wife was called Mary because we read a story in another gospel account of a Mary at the cross who was the wife of Cleopas. Some think that's the same person, but that's all we know, an ordinary bloke with his ordinary friend walking on Sunday afternoon, but we're also told in this story that their faces were downcast because their world had seemed to have come crashing down. But something happened. Something happened on that road because at the end, transformation had occurred, much like the testimony of Andrea. What caused that change from downcast to being on fire? Because before we read, they stood still, their faces downcast, discouraged they were, confused. And after, this is what they said as they thought back on their experience, were not our hearts burning within us? The context of the story is that this happened on the back of the Easter events that many of us in the churches have been going through this week. This dramatic uh, uh, series of events where we have seen Jesus arrested, Jesus flogged, and Jesus crucified. And this, uh, <clears throat> this, the, the, 
this all happened, this walk on a Sunday afternoon, was happening at the end of that weekend. Let's look at that Sunday morning very briefly before this happened. The Easter Sunday morning. These are the events that the Bible tells us about. As you sort of look in different gospel accounts, you sort of put the jigsaw pieces together. And you can see at the beginning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb with a group of women. As Paul said earlier there, she wasn't expecting anything else but to anoint a dead body. The tomb was empty and they met angels who said, he has risen. And they were surprised. That's kind of surprising to us as we read that. Because we wonder why would they be surprised. But the woman left afraid, yet filled with joy, it says. And it, could, it appears from one of the accounts that maybe Mary Magdalene went ahead and told Peter and John. And they then ran to find the empty tomb. Tomb. And then Jesus starts to appear, as we see in the gospel accounts, uh, one by one to different people, uh, to um, Mary, to Peter, uh, to the apostles. And it's fascinating, as I was looking through these accounts again, that nobody expected his resurrection, even though Jesus had repeatedly told them about it. And we read that when Mary Magdalene was talking to the apostles, she said this, they've taken the Lord and we don't know where he is. And the apostles, uh, and after reporting to the apostles, uh, we're told that they didn't believe. They thought that the women were talking nonsense. And remember those famous words of Thomas. He said, unless I see the nail marks and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. It took Jesus to appear in person to so many and on one occasion to over 500 people who saw him after the resurrection before many believed. And so something happened on this road because he hadn't appeared to these two at that time. The story is found in Luke 24, and as I say, we read it earlier. These two ordinary people were certainly not expecting on that road to Emmaus to meet Jesus. And for them, tragedy had struck. Their world had come crashing in. Their faith had been rocked. Does that sound familiar to you? They had lost hope but something happened and that something made a difference and we're going to look at the story briefly very briefly today uh, recorded in Luke 24 to see if we can unpick even if it's familiar to you let's approach it with fresh eyes to see if we can unpick what made the difference what made the transformation for those two on that road to Emmaus? And if you've got the Bible in front of you, it would be helpful to hold it open uh, and say in Luke chapter 24, and uh, the story is told from verse 13. The first, I suppose, hint of possibility of what might have helped the change was that they journeyed together. Verse 14 says they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Do you know, you might have heard me say this before, but I'm a great believer in this. What a privilege to have fellowship. 
something that we have in the church that many, not all, but many outside the church don't have that social connection. But this is much more than social connection. Our faith, as you see, is not just a private thing. It's part of a community. And I need you. And we need each other. These guys reflected together. They, they, they shared their burdens with each other as they walked along. They, they were talking about this tragedy this, that had happened that they couldn't understand. Fellowship, you see, is a great gift. It's a God-given thing. Hebrews 10 says this, let us consider, let's listen to this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, encouraging one another, and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, God has given us each other. As iron sharpens iron, it says in the Proverbs, so one person sharpens another. And so these guys journeyed together. I don't know if you've got that friend in your life, but I have. I have, I have had times, especially in tragedy, where I've really valued that guy or that person to walk alongside me for me to be able to pour out my sorrows, my questions, and for us to wrestle together. And even ask the question, where, where is God in this? Although that's a helpful thing, I don't think this story points us to the fact that this was the reason for their transformation. But the next thing that the story tells us is that they, Jesus came up himself and walked along with them. It goes on to say, but they were kept from recognizing him in verse 16. You see, the difference in this journey was that Jesus was with them, even though they didn't recognize him at first. But as we read the story, we read that they emptied their hearts to him. Cleopas talked about the heartfelt disappointment that he had. We had hoped that he was the one, the one that was going to redeem Israel. Some of her women even gave us some hope. Uh, they said they saw angels and he said he was alive typical woman they probably said which was typical of a man's attitude probably of that day maybe not just that day but then they went on and they shared that the lads have checked it out and there was no body so now we're confused now we're disappointed there was a kind of glimmer of hope and now we're discouraged you see, their conversation with Jesus was heartfelt, it was authentic, it was real as Jesus walked alongside them. How real, I'm asking myself, is my conversation with Jesus? How authentic is it or is it just kind of polite and sanitized? And I look at David in the Psalms as he wrestled with the mysteries of God and he said, how long, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? One contemporary translation puts that psalm this way. I've looked at your head, back of your head long enough, Lord. David was real with God. 
He poured out his heart to God. God already knew what his heart was. Or in that moment when the psalmist was just awestruck by God, he poured out his, God, his, his words in Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I would rather be a doorkeeper, even in the house of God, than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. How much do we really be real with God and let him hear our deepest heart because that's what he's inviting us to. Interestingly, as the end of the story comes along, they invited him to stay. It says, as they approached the village in verse 28 to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went and he stayed with them. You see, Jesus doesn't force us into deeper relationship. He invites us. In Revelation chapter 3, we read the story uh, of what, what where Jesus speaks to this, this, uh, this church in Laodicea, this lukewarm church. And this is what he says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Were they being changed because Jesus was walking with them? I think so. But they still didn't recognize him. And I don't think that's that unusual. Jesus tells a story, as many of you will have heard of uh, Matthew 25, uh, of the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's actually the previous slide there, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, the sheep and the goats. And the Son of Man, with all his glory, he comes, and all the nations will be gathered before him, the parable says, and the sheep will be gathered on his right, and the goats on the left, and he'll turn to the sheep, and he'll say this, come you who are blessed of my Father, take your inheritance, because... I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. And this is the interesting thing I find in that parable. They said to him, whenever did we do that? Or when did, when did we do that to you, Lord? We didn't, we didn't see you. When did we see you in those circumstances and do that? And his words to them were this. Whenever you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. That Jesus is in there, in the acts of service, even though we may not see him. They walked with Jesus. They poured their hearts out to Jesus. They were authentic with him. And something within them was changing as they spent time with him, as he changed them slowly. But then he moves on and he starts to tell them, as you see, you've got a preview there. They learned the truth about Jesus. You see, they needed to know the truth because their hopes had been smashed. They'd only had part of the picture. They'd only heard things that they wanted to hear. Much like that very unfortunate story that some of you know of, of the little toddler who sat on his grandfather's knee and asked his grandfather to make a frog sound. And the grandfather said to him, why do you want me to make a frog sound? And he said, my dad was saying to my mum when Granda Crooks were going to Florida. <laughs> 
He'd got the wrong end of the stick. He hadn't got the full story. They knew this story only in part. They were blind to the whole story. What was the image they had of him? Verse 19, they said he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Some expected, you see, before the Messiah would come, that this prophet forecast or prophesied in Deuteronomy 18 would come. Some thought that that prophet would also be the Messiah. Some thought it was John the Baptist. He was a prophet, they said. In verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You see, they'd pinned their hopes on a political redeemer, and they'd given up everything for him. And then they'd watched as a mob arrested him, flogged him, stripped him, spat on him, and crucified him. The problem is they only had half the truth. They'd ignored the less palatable bits. And Jesus was able to say to them, the prophecy not only points to a Messiah who would rule and reign, but also to a servant who would come and die. And Jesus had spoken plainly about his suffering three days before uh, he would be raised. He said, I will have to suffer and die. Matthew records this three times that he shared this with his disciples. In Matthew 20, listen to the words that Jesus said in verse 17. Jesus took the 12 aside three, three days before this. We are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be delivered to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They'll flog him, and flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. And this was the third day. And the tomb was empty. And the, uh, the woman had testified to the fact that angels had said he had risen. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what the scriptures had said concerning himself. You see that bit in Genesis, the seed of woman who would crush Satan's head? That's me. The true descendant of Abraham that all nations will be blessed through? That's me. In Exodus, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed, that pointed to me. The ultimate high priest talked about in Leviticus, me. The prophet greater than Moses that was to come in Deuteronomy, me. The son of David, talked about in Kings, me. The cornerstone that the builders rejected in Psalms. The king riding on a donkey into Jerusalem in Zechariah. The son of righteousness with healing in his wings in Malachi. The one acquainted with sorrows in Jeremiah. All of that is pointing to me, he was able to say to them undoubtedly. And in Isaiah... The one who was despised and rejected by men. The man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. The one who would take our infirmities and carry our sorrows. The one who was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Me. They realized now, as he explained the truth to them, that Isaiah's words pointed to the cross. 
He was pierced for our transgressions, those words say. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Those words written hundreds of years before were pointing to Jesus. Jesus had come to take the punishment, you see, for a fallen world. And Jesus' death and suffering were not a setback. We're not a setback to redeeming Israel, but instead they were the method of Israel's redemption and the redemption of the world. And now the resurrection was a public announcement that God was fully satisfied with this sacrifice. That Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world, had defeated death. The power of sin, as we sang about just now, was broken. And it means because of his sacrifice, I can be forgiven. Do you hear that? Because of his sacrifice, all of us can be forgiven. And then the defining moment. As their eyes were opened, we read this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. Do you recognize those words? Their eyes were opened when he broke bread. Using identical words in a different meal. Three days earlier, Luke records what Jesus said. And just look at the words as they come up on the screen. The same words. He took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. And this is what Luke says. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this was a defining moment for them when their hearts were set ablaze. You see, something did happen that Easter Sunday. The darkness of Friday night miraculously became the light of Sunday morning. And the reality, and that reality, would transform their lives. These two ordinary people. These two people who thought that they had lost their Lord. They thought he was gone. They maybe thought they had blown it. The one who had once been very real to them. Like Andrea's story, for them, tragedy had awoken them to their need of Jesus. Like Andrea, they probably couldn't believe that Jesus could even love them, even them, enough to die for them. But when Jesus broke bread, they realized who he was, their Lord their Lord. And the Bible tells us if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe as they did eventually in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Tragedy, defeat and hardship can often awaken us to our need for God. If you feel that you are unworthy and God could not love you, 
Maybe you too have felt like them, that you've lost your relationship with God or it has dwindled. Jesus would say to you on this Easter Sunday, my body was broken for you. I took the punishment for everything you have done wrong. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The two disciples on that road to Emmaus, like Andrea, and that moment, the scales had fallen from their eyes. They were removed and he gave them new hope and new life. And that's why they said, were not our hearts burning while he talked to us on the road? And so, to those of us who know him on this Easter Sunday, let's take the example of those two disciples who urged Jesus strongly, stay with us. They opened the door so that he will rekindle the flame in our hearts. Pour out your heart to him today. Give him thanks for what he's done. Share your sorrows with him so that our hearts will be a light and our testimony like theirs, who then after traveling two hours to Emmaus, turned round and went the other direction to tell the others, it's true. The Lord has risen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.